Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Roker Report podcast following another victory in League One. I'm your host, Chris Wynn, and I'm delighted to welcome two people I'm sure you will recognise to review a solid, if unspectacular, 2-0 victory over Swindon Town at the Energy Check County Ground on Saturday. Uh, first, we have someone who is taking a break from asking the questions, as he insists he has opinions worth listening to. It is, of course, Connor Bromley. Welcome, Connor. Ah, yes. Uh, I, I just thought that I've got so many hot takes that I feel like I should give them every once in a while and being a host, you struggle to get that opinion in, especially if John's on there because he, he's a talker. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've got everyone on the edge of their seat waiting for your views now, Connor. We'd originally tried to get Hatman, so thank you for stepping in uh, as backup, Connor. And uh, no, Hat Guy's uh, very negative. Oh, hat Guy. I, yeah. Everyone calls him Hatman, he's Hat Guy. Um, that's the YouTube link. I can see Bomber looking very confused there, but I've got an alter ego on my YouTube channel, which you can right. subscribe to. There's a free plug. Thanks. I will. I will now. Thanks. Well, that, that, that was my next line, you see. He's oh. a chance for a free plug. So everyone get on and subscribe to, to Connor's uh, hat guy and, and Connor Bromley duo. And secondly, we have someone who I'm sure you will recognise. Uh, you probably heard him already, mainly as nobody else uh, at Roker Report sounds like a farmer. All the way from <laughs> Gloucester, we have Bomber. Hello to you, mate. Thank you very much for that introduction, Chris. Yeah, I'm all right. You okay? Yeah, I'm not bad. I think, it's, is it your first time on a on a main pod? It is, yeah. First time on the main, yeah. Of uh, yeah. Well, been promoted or, or relegated to the main pod, depending on how you see it. <laughs> so you're going to miss playing away today? Yeah. Well, miss, in inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> I did think about putting one in, but uh, but no, that's uh, that's Brett's domain. Got a lot to go through in the game, so let's get into it. Uh, fairly routine 2-0 away win for Sunderland at Swindon Town on Saturday, thanks to, uh, well, I felt it was a pretty bizarre goal from Charlie Wyke, uh, who seemed to sneak to the near post without anybody seeing his six foot three, six foot four frame kind of tiptoe to the front post, uh, followed by a penalty that was won and scored by Chris Maguire f- following even more dreadful defending. So let's uh, get your thoughts and in, in the build-up to the game, though. Connor, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on Phil Parkinson's team selection? Because we already had issues at the back, and then we lost Hume on the left. So was it a surprise to you that it was all nine in the back three and not McLaughlin? Uh, to, to be honest, when I saw the 11, I, I was sort of scrambling to work out exactly what he was doing. I thought he might have went four at the back. That was like, an initial thought, and I was like, no, and then I looked and I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. He must be playing Gooch at fullback. But 09 did all right against Carlisle, didn't he, in the whatever, check out trade, leeson.com, mm. Football League trophy, whatever it is now. Um, He did all right there, so I wasn't surprised to see him slot in. Losing Denver, obviously, is a big blow because he's essentially one of 
Like it's pretty much the way we play. A lot of our stuff goes through him down that left-hand side. So it was hard to lose him. And of course, the defensive crisis we've got going on, which has obviously been further extended with Willis getting injured, isn't ideal either. So I thought Parkinson probably selected um, as good of a good as a team as he could. I, I think that he probably got that spot on. And I think that was justified throughout the game. And Bomber, I mean, what what were your thoughts on the decision to have nine in the back three? I mean, did, as well as all nine, did you think it was a no-brainer for for Gooch to slot in on the left for Hume? Yeah, I, I think I think so. Being as he's pretty much the only person who could have slotted in on that left hand side, um, I I kind of I kind of commend Parker a little bit for sticking to his guns in that in that formation. It would have been easy to switch to a back four, but then obviously that has ramifications further up the pitch for us as well. You know, what do you do with the midfield? What do you do with the um, with the strikers? Um, However, I was surprised to see O'Nine staying at, at, at centre back. One of the three. I would have preferred McLaughlin to have started, perhaps, and then O'Nine going as as right wing back. Um, so your, your back three would have been Bailey Wright, uh, Willis, and and uh, Conor McLaughlin. So I was a little bit surprised in that respect, but not surprised to see Gooch on the on the left. Um, but in the end, it was it was vindicated because it's a, you know it's another clean sheet. Um, and uh, you know, I don't think I think Burge had probably one save to make in the in the whole game. Um, and I I don't know whether you commend the performances of of O nine and um, and McLaughlin or you know is that mainly down to Bailey Wright and his ability to grab uh, you know his defensive players by the scruff of the neck and and put them into shape and just basically shake them and you know did he talk O nine through that entire game at centre back? If he did, then the pair of them did a fantastic job. And like I said, it's a clean sheet, so you can't really argue with it. Yeah. And just quickly on that left-hand side, Bomber, but do you think he's also been vindicated because there were so many calls in the transfer window for him to strengthen on the left-hand side? I mean, and then we lost Hume straight away and everyone was mm. kind of crying out saying, well, why didn't we bring someone else in? But, I mean, Gooch came in and we've got the young lad, I think it's Kieran Dunn, or I might get his first name wrong, but we've got a young lad who can slot in on the left. So, I mean, do you think we're covered on the left then? Uh, I, I'd like, certainly like to see uh, someone in that position as a as a specialist as a, as a backup you know Lyndon Gooch for all intents and purposes he's playing there because he's pretty much the only left other left-sided player we've got he does a job there um but to answer your question about the vindication and is Parky vindicated of it you know everyone's always vindicated in their decisions until it goes wrong um so you know for the time being yeah he absolutely is but the, the minute something else happens and Lyndon Gooch has to come out of that position um then all of a sudden we're, we're thinking oh well, where's our depth and, and it's not so much um, he's not so vindicated in in making that, but for the time being, you know, like I said, albeit Swindon, I thought were quite poor. We've we've adapted to those uh, those changes really well, and it's another clean sheet. And you know, Gooch did really really well in there. I thought Conor McLaughlin did really really well after he moved into um, centre back. So yeah, I mean, if Willis is out for a prolonged period of time, it does leave us very very threadbare at the back there, particularly with Feeney and Shamajli, yeah. um, but. Yeah, I think I think we look solid enough, so I'm I'm happy with it to, for the time being. And we'll, we'll come back on to those possible issues at the back, but uh, at the other other end of the pitch, Connor um, O'Brien and Danny Graham were hooked from the last league game uh, at Charlton and were replaced by Chris Maguire and Charlie Wyke. What was your initial reaction to another rotated pairing up front? I feel like. Parkinson must look at every single game individually and decide what he thinks is best. I mean, I watched his post-game interview and he said that Chris and Charlie did really well against Carlisle, which is why he put them in, because I think they both gotten a goal, a couple of goals, and a, no, three goals between them and three assists, I think, in the game. So I can understand that thinking. Um, I also think Aidan O'Brien has been poor. Like, I think if I'm being brutally honest, he's not been great since we've brought him in. He hasn't really done anything to excite me watching him. I think he's 
a hard worker, but he doesn't seem to have much quality. I'm hoping that he grows into that, though. But you look at that forward line, and it's really difficult to see how a striker can flourish in the way that we play going forward. It often feels like we sort of bypass the middle striker. They're there to be more of a nuisance to help bring in other players. And we need players like Chris Maguire to to come in and play because he has that little bit of quality. I would love to obviously see Aidan McGeady back in the fold, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But I think Sunderland are crying out for players like them who can you know add a bit of spark and creativity. Because at the minute, I, w- I would pretty much say that Maguire is the only player we have who can kind of create something out of nothing. I think Gooch has been poor this season. He did all right yesterday at left wing back. He was industrious, but going forward, he's not been great. Minus for the Oxford game earlier in the season. So we've got problems going forward. And I think that's what we need to address. Sort of if we're going to get promoted this year, because defensively, we're obviously going to be very good, but we just look anemic in the final third. And I don't think no matter what you do, moving that attacking three round, we're going to struggle to score goals because we just don't look set up to allow a, a front three to flourish. Yeah, you mentioned Parkinson's comments that these were pulled in because of the Carlisle game. I mean, for me, watching that Carlisle game, I mean, I don't know how you'd think or look at my strikers after that, especially after that first half and go, oh, look at how great they're playing and fantastic they're linking up and Charlie Weggs looking so mobile up front. That first half was pretty horrendous. So, I mean, is that is that just kind of manager speak? Or, I mean, where do you think he got that from? I think, yeah, I think it's manager speak. I think... It's also building up Charlie to give him a little bit of confidence. Because what I would say about Charlie Wyke and Sunderland strikers is they just don't have any confidence between them. You can see watching Sunderland play, and even you know, I know from my interactions with them last year, face to face, you can tell that they're just lacking in confidence. The team isn't fitted to suit strikers. You know, we're not geared up to let Will Griggs score twenty goals. He's he's an afterthought in how we set up. And under Parkinson, it's. You know, it's defence first, which is fine because we will win a lot of games with Parkinson's methods at the minute. But I think you are right back to the initial point. Yeah, it's manager speak because Charlie Wyke yesterday was fine. I think he was no more than fine. The goal he scored was more, I would call it defending by Swindon, but it wasn't defending. I don't know what they were playing at. So it wasn't like Wyke did something brilliant and actually won headers in the box. He wasn't doing that. And he needs to start doing that if he's going to keep, you know, himself in the team every week because at the minute, you're not going to have that chance for you every single game. It's not going to happen. And we've seen since Wikes came in here, he struggled to create chances. I, I can't even think of him scoring many headers, which is embarrassing for a target man. And I think Parkinson is, yeah, he's just trying to blow smoke up his arse in the hope that it fires him up and gets some scoring goals because we need somebody to get something this season because you're not going to get promoted if not against strikers are scoring. I mean, Bomber will come, kind of, Touched on the style there, and Bomber will we'll come back to that. But um, just quickly on on this kind of selection of you know the personnel who he's picking up front and he's rotating them. I mean, is the argument that we're getting results? We're kind of you know close to the top of the table. We're we're in touching distance of the top two. But is the argument that you know even though we're getting results, we could improve our attack and play and be more consistent if we had a two that he stuck with up front? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's an easy decision for him to make at the minute because, like you said, we're we're at the top. We, we're winning games, um, but we're winning games. It sounds silly, but we're winning games because we're able to keep clean sheets, not because we we're fantastic going forward and we're outscoring teams. Yeah, you, you for the thing for strikers, you need and Parky's almost doing it. You need to be able to give strikers a run of games to say, okay, go and prove yourself. I'm going to give you three or four games. I want you to get two or three goals uh, and that will cement your, your, your place in the team. While he's rotating it, 
so much and and bringing people in and bringing people out it, that's not possible the only person who seems to have a, a run of a run of games is is charlie wyke and it, for me it was it was almost unfortunate that he scored yesterday because it was pretty much the only thing of note that he did but you can guarantee that it guarantees his, his place in the team you know i don't know a lot of the fans were, were calling for for greg to have a chance this season i don't know what he's got to do to to, to get that chance but you know, even at even at two 0 as soon as we scored that second goal, there was, there was what twenty five minutes left or so. Just just stick Greg and, and Graham up front, or, or you know, and just see what they do. Um, you know, or just just change it up, give them a chance to to get a couple of goals and and make a stake for a place uh, a stake for a place in the team in the following game. Um, but yeah, n- nobody's going to get into any sort of form. Nobody's going to get into any sort of rhythm whilst they, you know, they don't know. They're constantly looking over their shoulder, not knowing if they're going to be in the starting lineup from one game to the next. I think something as well, just a quick point around Parkinson, is the fact that our two most expensive assets, i.e. McGeady and Will Grigg, aren't being utilised at the minute. And I find that interesting because as an owner, I would certainly be looking at it like, well, you know, I forked out some good money on these players and we're not getting anything out of them. Now the transfer window's closed, McGeady's not going anywhere, so a good manager surely should be trying to fit him back in. Well, Connor, that's the second time you've mentioned, so let's let's quickly go on that McGeady point. Do you think there's you know even a 1% chance he's got a future at Sunday and we'll see him again on the pitch? I think if I'm a football manager, and I, or if I'm looking at resources in a department at any workplace, and you've got somebody like McGeady, who the perception is, is that he's a knob, essentially, and... <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that McGee's opinionated. He, he is opinionated. He's very intelligent. And I think, you know, he does look at himself probably as above playing in League One. And so therefore, he expects a higher level of play. If you're a football manager and you can't manage your best player, and I think we can all agree that Aidan McGee is technically Sunderland's best player. Mm-hmm. If you can't manage him, then that, that's a serious question mark on your head. At the minute, he's, he's getting away with it because we're keeping clean sheets. But at the point where we're not keeping, you know, clean sheets every game. At the minute, we're on course for like 36 clean sheets. That's not going to happen. You need players like a McGeady to come in and score goals or a Will Grigg to come in and score goals. He's not give Grigg since he came in really a chance. And, you know, we wonder why we're not scoring goals in the attacking third. Well, the two reasons are simply that our two best attacking players aren't playing. And I think eventually that'll be, if Parkinson, if we don't go up this season and Parkinson fails, that'll be the thing that costs him was the fact that he couldn't manage both Grigg and McGeady. It seems as simple as that for me. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Connor. It's good, and it goes back to what you were, you touched on earlier as well. Like as an owner, having spent money on on those two players, and they are probably our two most valuable assets. Uh, he, pro- I know the owners probably don't want to get too involved in selection decisions, but would you not knock on the door and go, Phil, come on, what, what are you doing here? We've got you know a four million pound striker who's not barely played an hour hours of hour of football, and um, you know somebody who got training with the with the under twenty threes or the under twenty ones. Like, what's going on here? Can you imagine if those those three, if we'd had three nil nil draws, which would is quite feasible given that we were we have been quite toothless up front. If we had those three nil nil draws and Will Gregg and Aidan McGeady are nowhere near a squad, let alone uh, you know a, a ninety minutes, the backlash for that would be enormous. It's our two most creative players, and like you said, our two McGeady certainly our most technically gifted player isn't getting a look in when we we are looking so toothless up front. We're, we're getting away with it at the minute purely because of of our defence being so good. And just to play kind of devil's advocate, I mean, I'll, I'll come back to, to you, Connor, on this because you raised it. From Parkinson's point of view, he's worked all summer. He's with his squad of players and he's, you can tell because obviously we've already mentioned the way he's set up, but 
it's they've put the hours on the training pitch. You can see that every time they go out on the pitch, he's drilled them. Every player knows their job on that pitch under Phil Parkinson. So from his point of view, why would you risk that bringing in someone who's had nothing to do with that work, doesn't know his role, doesn't know his place in that team, doesn't know you know what the other players' roles in that team are, and then you bring him in and just say get the ball and, and go. But as a defensive shape, he would he would be involved in that defensive setup when we haven't got the ball. There's a, a few prongs to that. Number one, in terms of him getting used to the defensive setup and the way we play, he's an international quality player. He's played in the Premier League. He's played Champions League. I don't think McGee. It's going to take McGee long to get adjusted to that. And I think last season when Jack Ross was there. And sort of after Madger had left the previous year, I think McGeady did well defensively. I never think think of him as a defensive liability, so I don't think he would struggle to fit into the team. But I also think that any arguments or the reason why McGeady isn't in, I mean, I don't think anybody really knows exactly what it was that he's not in there. At this point, surely he's humbled. Surely at his age, he wants to play football. In fact, I know for a fact he would want to play football because, you know, he loves football. You would think that this would be an opportunity for Parkinson to, to call him in the office and say, look, we're bringing you in, Aiden. I want you to be part of the squad now, but he has some ground rules. You're not the locker room leader anymore. You're not the one who's controlling the fines. We've got players to do that. I want you, though, to be a part of the team. I want you to you know, fit into my system, and I'm going to give you a chance to get selected. And if you can prove yourself, you'll get in the team. And I'm sure that McGeady, being an international player who's played for top clubs, would accept that management and would think that that was good. And then they can just draw a line under it. That's what I would do. That's what a good manager would do. And I feel like at the minute, we've only got a certain amount of resources at Sunderland. I don't know how it impacts the salary cap. I'm going to guess it would be under with McGeady there, but I don't know. So maybe that could be an issue. But to me, that's just good management. That's what I want from my football manager. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Alex Ferguson would, you know, not select Cristiano Ronaldo if he fell out with him. He would select him. He'd find a way of fitting him in. And I think that that's, for us, it sounds a bit ridiculous, but <laughs> McGeady is our best player. He's maybe not, you know, the Cristiano Ronaldo or something, but he is our best player, and so we should be trying to find a way of getting him in it. It just seems to me it's sense. almost like um, it's almost like Phil Parkinson's trying to make a point, isn't it? Like, it, like regardless of what McGeady does now in terms of training, in terms of knocking on his door and having a chat with him, it's almost like I I need to make an example of you. And the minute he relents on that and puts him back into the team, for some reason, Parky might think that that's a sign of weakness and people will start taking the piss out of him. I don't know. But like you said, Connor, no one really knows kind of what's gone on. And, you know, what must have happened for him to be frozen out so much for so long? I, I don't know. But it's quite clear that we need somebody like him in, in, in the team at the minute to, to just spark that, that forward three, the forward five, however we're playing. Because um, it's, it's just not happening at the minute. Well, there's Connor's hot take. Mm. It would take uh, Aidan McGeady. Two minutes to grasp a party ball. Well, let's get into the game itself. We seem to be in control from the off. But other than Grant Ledbetter trying to score from 40, 50 yards with that free kick, the first incident it was probably Jordan Willis going off injured and being replaced by Jack Diamond, which meant Conor McLaughlin slotted into the back three at that point from his role at right wing back where he started. And Diamond took his place on the right wing. Conor, how do you think Diamond did in his first League One game? To be honest, I didn't think he... He didn't really do much wrong. He didn't really do much right. I felt he tried to take on some players and, and didn't really... I think he was maybe successful once in the game at doing that. But overall, getting thrown in 20 minutes into a match and, and you know, he didn't really put a foot wrong defensively. He was fine. I thought he, he did quite well. Um, I think he'd be happy with his performance. And I think he's... I think it's harsh from Parkinson to throw in a young right winger in a that kind of fullback role. You know, it's not his natural position. And I think 
to do that with a young player is a bit, I would say it's like almost mean because, you know, you would like to think if you're bringing in a young lad, you would put them in that preferred position and not try and shoehorn them in somewhere else where they're going to be exposed as well. You know, the chances are he could have been megged, he could have been taken on, that was possible. And play, putting them there was maybe, um, you know, maybe it's a learning point for Diamond and maybe it was Parkinson saying, you know what, it's not just going to be going forward, you are going to have to learn the other side of the game. But I think Diamond did okay. I think he'll be happy with his work and I think he's he's proven that he's a, a, a selection option in a few places in the team. The worry is though is that he's now going to be seen as a, a right back and the cover for Lugo 9 and you know I would be a bit sort of disappointed if that was the case because I think he's got a lot to offer in that final third now. kind of want to see him up there. Yeah I mean Bomber just just on uh, touch on what Connor said there about him being right wing back do you think it's just a case of he's doing that because of the size of our squad rather than where Parkinson would want to play him? Uh, I think it's I think it's the size of the squad but I also think it's down to um, you know the way in which he wants to play you know if if we're saying that Diamond is more of a right winger and more of an attacking player. Well, that realistically, in, a, in that kind of three-five-two, the only right-sided player is going to be at right wing back. So it's kind of if you want to play in an advanced right position, you have to play on that as a right wing back and be able to do both. Um, I think it's good that Parkinson's shown enough confidence in him to, to throw him in there because, like Connor said, it's it's clearly not defensively. He's not defensively inclined naturally, but he 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 did a, a decent enough job there. Um, but I think he's almost thrown him in there to th- to say, you know, if if you want to come in the team, this is where you're going to be because you, you can you, you can do the forward stuff, but I need you to do the the, the coming back and, and helping out the defense stuff as well. Um, so yeah, he's almost. I think that's where Parkinson sees him playing probably. Mm. Um, we've got too many options through the center and too many options up front. So at the moment, if he's going to get a chance, it's going to be in that position. From what I read, Diamond started out kind of as a, at youth level as a as a striker originally. I don't know how right that was. I, I might have been Wikipedia, but I read that somewhere that he he started out up front. And looking at the the kind of passing maps over the last few weeks with Josh Scowen in the team, you see Josh Scowen's been all down that right, working with kind of all nine down the right hand side. So I mean, I obviously you know I think we've got better players or more established with more experienced players in that role, like Josh Scowen's playing at the moment, where. It's that advanced kind of inside right role, I suppose. And I think I think Jack Diamond would be kind of suited for that role. But with the amount of attacking midfielders, Connor, do you see at some point maybe Parkinson trying to play him further up the field? I think normally you would expect to see that. I would like to see that happen in like the Football League trophy games, you know, mm. try him further up. And to be fair, I think he has done that. Do I see Parkinson doing it? No, because I think he's got a reluctance to play younger players. I think Parkinson's a manager who trusts experience. He's somebody who, who really values that. And that's fair enough. You know, he's had success. He knows how to get teams out of this league. So I'm not going to discredit that as a method. But it would be, you know, nice to see Diamond given a chance further afield. And I think you, you lump Dan Neal in there as well. You know, wasn't on the bench yesterday, but did well against. Every time I've watched Dan Neal, I thought he's played well. You know, I think he doesn't let you down. He's clearly capable of playing at this level and he's clearly worth a shot and worth viewing so I would like to see them given a chance in the league we're playing a game on Tuesday night you've got a squad to rotate I know defensively we might not be able to do that but you know in midfield I see no reason why we can't so it would be nice to see maybe some changes on Tuesday whereby we might actually see a Daniel be on the bench and maybe come on for the last half an hour but I won't hold my breath on that it feels like a lot of football managers at this level will not trust young players. And I think it's because their job's on the line all the time. You know, Parkinson's five games from the sack, as every manager is in this league. You know, you're a few defeats away. And I think that's why there's a reluctance to trust these younger players, despite the fact that every time they've played, they've looked good. So, yeah, I would like to see Diamond get further further forward. 
do I see Parkinson doing it anytime soon? No, <laughs> I don't. I think he'll be on the bench. I think he might come on further forward as a substitute, but I don't see him starting there anytime soon. Slightly frustrating on the Dan Nail thing. I think if he'd had a similar loan move to Diamond last season, I think he would be more involved this season. Mm. Um, just going off the Carlisle game, I think he tired, started tiring in that second half. And I think he's just lack of kind of first-team football, whether in a club like Harrogate or in the conference or something like that. I think last season, if Dan Neal had had that, he uh, he would have been a few steps on. But uh, going back to you, Bomber, um, it was Conor McLaughlin's first run out. But how do you think he did uh, in that back three? And if it does turn out that Willis is out, even if it's just for the next game, might that be enough to force Phil Parkinson to, to change his system? Or do you think he'll continue to play players kind of out of position to keep that shape because it's already kind of done a job for us this season? So so I don't think there's any chance of the shape changing. I think that 3-5-2, he's, he's, he's wedded to that now. I don't see that changing. I think that's been reinforced by the fact that um, McLaughlin, that, that, until Willis went off, he was, I thought he was quite poor. You know, he, he didn't look like a right wing back. He looked like somebody who was completely uncomfortable playing there. He gave the ball away quite a bit. Didn't really offer a, a, an awful lot going forward when you compare him to what a nine does for us in that position. When he went to right centre-back, I thought he was really good. I know Swindon didn't really offer an awful lot, but I, I would have no problem with him slotting in there um, in the in the midterm should Willis be out for a prolonged period of time. You know, you have Flanagan, uh, Wright and, and McLaughlin. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that back three at, at the minute. So I think he, d- he did enough to, to at least pacify me in thinking that yeah we can carry on with this 3-5-2 and, and have those as a, as a back three it does obviously leave us very very light I think if we were to lose anybody else in that back line I think Parkinson's hand would almost be forced to to go to a flat back four just because we just literally wouldn't have enough people to even shoehorn into centre back let alone specialists in that position um but yeah McLa- I thought McLaughlin was was decent decent enough without being under too much pressure he did what he needed to do um his his positioning was good uh he put in a few decent tackles a few decent stops um never really looked that shaky on the ball because at, at right center back it was more or less you know just win it and and send it on its way to somebody else and it's a different job than what he had to do at right center uh, right wing back so yeah i wouldn't have any problem with him staying there for the for a short term anyway mm. uh, and sticking with you i wanted to mention uh grant ledbetter again mm. uh because he completely controlled the tempo of the game he just kept ticking us over he kept switching play he just kept kind of dictating everything and we've been repeating ourselves for a few weeks now um on grand but he just keeps pulling out the performances so i mean how how impressive was was ledbetter at swindon uh, he, he, he like you said he dictated the game i mean ledbetter's renaissance it's the first time i've had a chance to comment on it but it's been phenomenal really for how i, I don't i can't recall a player being written off so badly to then come and just completely make everyone's opinions 180 and uh, and he's you know effectively he's kind of the first name on the team sheet now which you wouldn't have six months ago you would have thought you know we were talking about oh i think ledbetter will retire uh you know his legs have gone this that and the other but the resurgent has been fantastic and it's brilliant to see and his performance and yesterday was um reflective of how he's performed the last three or four games you know he's been vital he's been in in that in that role where he can dictate the the play he can dictate the tempo he can get on the ball you know he has got a, a, a good range of passing um and and just that experience in there as, as well um yeah he was he was brilliant and you know long may that continue for me um it's just it's just a shame that it's we didn't see it the back end of last season or the beginning of last season there wasn't technically a back end of last season um obviously he he's had his his trebles and i think that just goes to show that that was weighing a lot heavier on his mind than perhaps we gave everybody we gave him credit for um because he seems to be over it now 
um, or at least past it to a point where he can he can function better and it, the performances are, are showing on the pitch as a result. Yeah, I mean, just to bring you in on Ledbetter, Connor, because the, the system's so set up for Ledbetter to be in that position. You can see he controls our performances. You can see how much influence he, ha- he has on the pitch. But with a game coming on Tuesday, how much of a concern do you think it is that Ledbetter can deal with the, the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday routine? Uh, I, I think that he, he probably should be all right with it. I mean, he's a, he's a professional. He's somebody who looks after himself. I, I don't see Ledbetter struggling to play Saturday, Tuesday. If he is struggling, though, you know, maybe you give, it a, give him an hour. But we do have options in midfield. You know, we've kind of talked about Dan Neal. So th- there is the chance to change that round. It's possible maybe that he maybe adds another attacking player in there. I mean, it depends really on what sort of injuries we have on Tuesday. Maybe if Willis is fit, then that can have a knock-on effect, which means that you maybe aren't relying on Grant Ledbetter because you can move Gooch further forward and then you can go 5-2-3 and all that sort of stuff. So there is the chance that injuries will impact it, but I, I don't see Ledbetter struggling with Saturday, Tuesday. I and mean, yes, he's what, 33, 34, something like that. But age is, you know, everyone's age is irrelevant, isn't it? It depends how you deal with it yourself. Some players struggle playing Saturday, Tuesday when they're in their early 20s and some players can just do it their whole career. And I haven't seen anything about Grant struggling. It's not obvious when you hear interviews with him or when you hear interviews with the manager that there's doubts over whether or not you can play two games in a week. So I think Grant will probably play. But I'd certainly just to echo what Bomber said about Grant, it's clear that last season he was a shell of himself, you know, and we know that he's had mental health struggles and all that and he's kind of talked about it. It was a good article in The Athletic actually, I think last week, which kind of highlighted that. But it's clear now this is the player that we thought we were getting. We thought we were going to get kind of a, you know, combative, good passer, dictates the game. And yesterday I just thought he was constantly in the right place to intercept the ball, constantly just buzzing around the centre circle, just picking up pieces. And I don't know if he played any straight passes. And there was that clever free kick he did where he tried to chip the keeper. And that shows to me that he's a player with a lot of confidence at the minute. The one thing I'd like to see is, is take Maguire off corners because he can struggle to beat the first man. <laughs> Put Ledbetter back on them because we know he's got a good foot. And we saw when he first came in that his corners were brilliant. And, you know, the corner thing is ridiculous anyway because the professional footballers, I don't know how you can't beat the first man off a corner. Because even me, I can beat the first man off a corner. I'm not saying I'm going to hit a player <laughs> accurately. But I can at least get the ball sort of roughly towards the penalty spot. And I, I struggle to see how a professional footballer can't do that. And this isn't Lambaster Maguire because I thought he was brilliant. I don't want to hammer him too much, but howie, come on. <laughs> now, Stephen Gerrard got away with it for 15 years, taking corners, not beating the first man corner. So can't be that bad. I should have put Harry Kane on corners. <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously the answer. I mean, just, just on one thing you mentioned, Connor, I mean, I'm older than Grand Ledbetter and I can assure you that age isn't irrelevant. Look, so, could you play Saturday, uh, Tuesday? No, I couldn't play Saturday. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't I couldn't warm up for Saturday, to be honest, but uh, well, that's a different story. So yeah, back into the game, uh, Charlie Wyke uh, opened the score and after 37 minutes when Lyndon Cooch crossed from the left to find Wyke without a defender, within about 20 yards of him or something ridiculous like that. Um, and at 1-0 up, uh, five minutes into the second half, Swindon get a shout of a penalty. Now, Connor, I mean, it looked a bit clumsy to me. Did we get away with one there? I think we got away with one because I, when I was watching it, I was like, oh God, that's a penalty. But then you kind of watch it back and you think the Swindon player sort of buys it. I mean, Luke doesn't go to tackle him, does he? He kind of stands there and their guy sort of runs into him. But if this was against, well, if this was a penalty for Sunderland, would I be saying it was a penalty? I think I probably would. So... On that basis, I probably say we did get away with it. I think it was certainly probably a 70-30 in Swindon's favour. Kind of thought it was, it would be a soft one to concede, but I did think it was a penalty. 
But I don't think Luke could have done much about it because he didn't really move his foot. He just kind of stood there and the guy ran into him when he knocked the ball past him. <laughs> so it's it's one of them. Um, in the Premier League, I think that would have been a penalty though. I think it's just, mm. you know, VAR would have definitely overturned that one. Bomber, did you have your red and white tinted glasses on with that one? No, I thought it was a penalty. As soon as, <laughs> as, soon, as, soon, as, he went, as soon as he went down and I saw you saw Luke stand there with his kind of his arms up in the air, I was like, oh, and I was I was sat there and I was waiting for the whistle. I was just waiting for it. And then two seconds passed, three seconds passed, four seconds passed. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. He's, he's not giving it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I did think it was, um, it's, it's one of those, like Connor said, it, it is a soft one to give away, but you'd be raging if it wasn't given for you. Um, I think it's just, it was just it's typical person playing out of position, not really getting their body shape, not really getting their positioning correct. Because he, like Connor said, he didn't really put in a tackle. He just got an awkward side of the player that allowed the, the attacker to get take advantage of it. And he kind of just stood there and there was contact, albeit minimal. Um, but yeah, I think that's just somebody playing out of position, not really knowing where to stand, how to how to defend that in that area. Um, but yeah, it was it was a pen for me. So we, we, we did get away with it. Yeah, my wife had to ask me yeah, what was going on in the match because I have to admit I was I was quite genuinely laughing out loud at the Swindon bench because because you would wouldn't you really? Yeah. <laughs> to be fair. And then just before the hour uh, bomber, uh, Maguire went right, uh, went free on the right and cut inside and ended up winning and converting a, a penalty. I mean, first of all, was the penalty a no-brainer? And in terms of Maguire, I think Connor might have touched on it earlier, but is he one of the first names down on the team sheet? Because even when he can like disappear from a game for for half an hour. It potentially comes up and has one of these moments. Yeah. So so firstly, I think it was as much of a penalty as as the one that wasn't given for Swindon. Um, you could tell that Chris is obviously trying to play for it because there was a space for him to try and curl a left footed shot into into that bottom left corner. But instead, he decided to knock the ball further away from goal, knowing that that impact was coming. Uh, so he's a hundred percent played for it. Um, and as he has put the penalty away, you you commend him for it. Um, I wasn't that convinced on the penalty itself. I think the keeper, he went straight down the middle, didn't he? But I think the keeper did kind of get a hand to it just about, but it was just too strong to um, to, to stop. Um, but yeah, to the second part of your question, he, he, along with, for me, he, along with Ledbitter and probably Bailey Wright, they're the three that you, you have to have in your team at the minute, week in, week out, game in, game out. Um, because with the absence of, I'll mention him again, a, a McGeady or, uh, you know, a, a more creative player, he stands head and shoulders above everybody else for me, even above Gooch in terms of his ability to create something out of nothing. Um, you know, we were so heavily reliant the season before last on on McGeady's ability to to create something out of nothing. And, and Maguire is the closest we've got to that now. Um, and he is he is a League One player. I don't think he, I don't think he would he would cut it necessarily in the Championship. But you're quite right. He's he's the one person who could be anonymous for 85 minutes of a game. And then do something like he did yesterday. I'm not saying that he was anonymous yesterday, for by far from it. But he could have been anonymous for 85 minutes of that game, won that penalty. And then all of a sudden it's 2-0, game's won, thanks very much. Um, and I don't see anybody else at the moment in that team that has that ability. Um, so we do, I think we, we do rely quite heavily on him, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Connor, just quickly on that on that penalty, McGuire seemed to be going down a long time before the contact came, but did, did the tackle just deserve to give away a penalty? Yeah, it was clumsy, wasn't it? And I think... You know, Maguire, I, I don't think Maguire would have risked not getting a shot off if he didn't think he was going to get the penalty. I mean, I did think it was mm. a penalty, but you're probably right. It was as much of a penalty as the one at the other end. But quickly, just touching on Maguire there, um, and it kind of reverts back to the McGeady point, but I just thought of it now when Bomber was talking. If McGeady was playing, I don't know if Maguire would be as effective mm. because I feel like they're both, you can't have two of them, two luxury players, I'd call mm. them. 
Um, so I suppose there is that on that debate. But I just thought I would go back, just finish that one off now. I promise I won't mention uh, Mickey's again. <laughs> okay, kind of putting a full stop on that one. Yeah. Uh, so we'll close the game out without much concern and the game finished uh, 2-0. No real worries in the, in the last kind of 10 minutes of the game. Another clean sheet with a patchwork back three, Connor. How much credit do we give Phil Parkinson and, as we said, the drilling, the work, the organisation? Or how much is it down to the opposition that we've faced so far, generally offering absolutely nothing going forward? Uh, I mean, to your second point there, I think the lack of crowds is making an impact. I mean, when I used to go to the away games last season, you could see that every game was big, kind of like when Sunderland used to play a Man City at the same night, we used to win 1-0, and then kind of everyone got geared up for them games, and it, it had like a bit of extra spice on it as a supporter. And I think that's helping us at the minute because... You know, you go to these grounds and the, the players aren't getting that extra sort of 10% off the crowd and we're maybe not as, I don't want to use the word intimidated, but, you know, it, it can be hard going to them places. And I remember Lincoln last year, we got beat. And I think that was as much down to the crowd being ferocious and, you know, on the referee to get decisions. And maybe that penalty yesterday would have got given in a situation where there was a crowd there, you know, because every Swindon fan would have been bargained for it and it will impact the referee. They're only human. So I think it, it's, it's more to do with the fact that every time we were playing teams last season and the season before, teams were really up in their games. And I don't think that's me being biased and saying that, you know, because we're such a big club and all that. But I, I genuinely think that was the case. Teams were looking at it as their biggest game of the season. And when you talk to people from the clubs, whether it be fans or people who work there or even the players, they all said that was the game they look forward to. They look forward to coming to the stadium light and they look forward to coming and playing something because they knew it was their biggest attendance of the season and it was the biggest away game. So not playing in front of fans is is in some way it's benefiting us, I think, because Swindon were just poor. They didn't look mm. up for it. They were weak. They were there was just not much going on. I mean, you said Burge made one save. I can't even remember that. Um <laughs> it just felt like they were really poor. And they were trying to play out the back. And I don't know what it is with teams in League One trying to play out the back, but you've got to be of a certain quality to do that. And that keeper, you know, he nearly got caught up from Maguire. He he looked clumsy all game. The defence they had just looked really uncomfortable on the ball to the point where if you're the man, like Richie Wellens, what's he doing? He should just say, right, okay, do you know what? We're not going to play it from the back today because Southern are pressing we're, and we're going to make a mistake. And Swindon were just really, really poor. And I think the opposition this season has been poor against Southern. I don't think we've really seen a strong one. I think Bristol Rovers were very well drilled. I would say they've probably the ones who performed the best out of all the teams we've played just because they, they, they set their stalls out and once they got the goal, they kind of sat back in were organised, but everyone else has been really poor this season. You're right. And it's no surprise that, you know, the teams at the top, Hull and Ipswich, um, and I would probably put us in that bracket as well, you know, we seem to be dealing far better than what we did last season. And I think a lot of it's to do with the crowds. Bomber, just to bring you in on Connor's point, I thought it was really interesting the other week. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but there was an interview with Phil Parkinson and I thought it was really interesting. It might have been his press conference the other week where he said, it's been really important this season without the crowds to build up the intensity in the players because as Connor said they're not getting that from the sidelines they're not getting that from the away fans or stadium light at home games so to build up that intensity especially because you know in the game against Swindon that where we as Connor again said were pushed from the front and really kind of sat on top of them and the, the pressing was at times absolutely fantastic where it was kind of groups of two groups of three kind of ganging up on the ball and winning the ball high up the pitch. Should we give him credit for recognising that in the first place? And you could see him at half time as well, just going off the pitch where he was mm. trying to get the players up for it. But 
Parkinson's obviously trying to be the replacement for the fans in getting that intensity up because they're not getting that from from elsewhere. Mm. He he does he definitely deserves credit for it. Um, you know, one thing that you can't say about Parkinson is that he he doesn't care. You know, and he, you can see that that passion, whilst in his in some of his interviews and stuff like that, he does come across as quite dour and you know he's quite monotonous in in the way in which he answers questions. You can't say that he he doesn't lack passion for 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 the game and wanting to do well. And yeah, I think it was you're right. It was his interview last week where he said about us having to create our own kind of drive and motivation and determination, and that will be really difficult, more difficult I think for us than any other team in the division because we we're used to you know, having 25,000 people screaming for us as players. I mean, they'll be used to having 25,000 people screaming them on. Um, whereas now they're playing in completely empty stadiums, whereas some League One teams, you know, get two, 3,000, 4,000 people in, um, are probably used to not having that sort of atmosphere. So it's a, it, it will play a factor and it will be a very difficult thing to do. So I think the fact that he has got them working and got them pressing from the from the front that was evident yesterday he he definitely deserves credit for that um you know his style of playing and, and, and tactical now aside um one thing you can't accuse him of is, is not getting his players up for the for for the game certainly yesterday anyway mm. yeah and i suppose the other the other aspect to that you said twenty five thousand cheering them on uh there's probably a decent mm. uh Decent chunk of that, not cheering them on if a few yeah. passes go astray as well. So yeah, it's, it's a double-edged sword, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Just just on to uh, Charlie White Bomber, because he got a goal. How did you rate his overall performance? And did his performance mean that he deserves to keep his place on Tuesday night? Oh, um, Oof, that's a tough uh, one. Yeah, uh, I think the fact he scores a goal means that he will keep his place. I just... I'm I'm fed up of having like given the same opinion on Charlie White. Like he he kind of he never really does anything. Well, that's it. He just never really does anything. He doesn't really do anything wrong, but he doesn't really do anything. And yet every now and again he'll come up with a goal which seems to justify his place in the starting lineup. Um, you know I don't I don't dislike him. I just don't think he 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 offers anything. When you look at the other options that we've got, admittedly, as as Connor said earlier, people like Aidan O'Brien haven't really hit the ground running. But you look at what we've got by comparison, and you just wonder how you know out of any every every striking option that we've got, he's the one who's probably played the most minutes or certainly the most regular, um, and yet I think has probably got the least to to offer. Um, so I, it's kind of two parts to my question to, to answer your question. Sorry, Chris. Um, he, I think he will keep his place. Um, I don't think he necessarily did enough aside from score a goal, which might sound stupid. So when we're kind of reflecting on the performance of a striker. But I don't think he, he did anything. You know, I think if you put Danny Graham or you put Will Grigg up front instead of him, either one of those would have scored, possibly two or three. But yeah, he'll he'll play on Tuesday, no doubt. Um, whether he deserves to or not is open for debate. My personal opinion is no. <laughs> well, Connor, just to bring you in on the, the Charlie White debate, in the first 20 minutes, there was an interesting scenario where I think it came from Lee Burge. And Lee Burge, kind of, I can't remember whether it was out of his hands or whether he just kind of kicked it out from, from the ground. But he kind of kicked it out and Charlie White almost kind of, you know, in the same style as Nal Quinn, where he started off kind of 10 yards away from where the ball was going to go and then ran and won the ball and flicked it on. And Maguire was then in a good position. I think Maguire was pulled down, but we found ourselves in attack position. So, I mean, I, I, I watched that. And when I watched that scenario, I thought, well, that's Charlie White's game. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's there for. So... I mean, with the way we're playing, we're not going to, we don't play like that for 90 minutes. That isn't, you know, we're not going back to the Peter E, you know, style where fullbacks get the ball in this diagonal, balls to Quinn, and that's our first option. 
and Charlie Wake's not that first option. So are we a bit harsh sometimes on Charlie Wake in his performance, you know, considering that we don't necessarily maybe play to his strength? I think you're right in some sense. My issue, though, with Charlie Wake is often that I feel like he doesn't care. He doesn't, so he feels like he doesn't go for headers when he should. And the ball goes in the box, he often makes a token effort, like what I would do when I don't want to get my head in there. I would kind of sort of, oh, I did go for it. And you kind of run towards it, but you don't actually jump. I feel like he does that a lot. I feel like his his attitude sometimes is questionable. But to sort of disagree with what Bomber said about him playing on Tuesday, I think if you've got a striker who's scored in his last two games, to not play him in the next game seems a bit counterproductive because I think Charlie's the one who's probably got the most confidence of all the strikers will have. And, you know, I'm not his biggest fan. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's brilliant because I don't think he is. However, you've got a striker who's got a little bit of momentum and I don't think any of our other strikers do. So... I would give him the chance on Tuesday. And if he scores again, you're talking about three and three. And then you're saying, right, okay, well, you know, he's he's got something behind him. He's obviously going to have confidence. And I don't think he's had that when he's been at Sunderland. I don't think he's ever been given a good run of games where he scored goals. You know, he came in injured. And from that point, he's just never felt like he's he's got going. So, yeah, I probably would give him the chance on Tuesday. The style of play doesn't suit him, but I don't think the style of play would suit any striker. I feel like... We are a team that utilizes sort of individual brilliance going forward. That's where we score a lot of our goals: individual brilliance or defensive errors, which is how Charlie White scored a defensive error where he was just unmarked. And in League One, you probably will score goals by relying on that because the teams will make mistakes, and you can have players like Gooch or Maguire who can produce that one moment of magic in a game every once in a while that can win you three points. So, I mean, Connor, in summary, undefeated after five games, four clean sheets out of five. Uh, we can move into third behind Ipswich and Hall if we win our game in hand. Sounds great, if I say it like that. But not all the reaction seems to reflect kind of that, <laughs> that positive summary. And it seems that there's always a but to Sunderland this season. Can you try and summarise and put your finger on what is worrying people despite the good start? When you watch Sunderland play, it's not... It's just not entertaining. And it's not that, you know, I'm bothered about, you know, Barcelona-style football. That's not what it is. But I feel like you watch them and you think, it doesn't look like they're going to score here. Mm, Defensively, yeah, they look okay. But going forward, there's just nothing going forward. There's just nothing going forward. We look anemic in attack. We we lack creativity. And I feel like fans are kind of sat there going, well, yeah, we're winning games, but we're not really expressing ourselves. You know, we're winning through errors we're winning through as i said before moments of brilliance we're not actually spending all game though battering the opposition goal you know making chances and giving them a reason to say that you know our strikers aren't very good because they're getting chances and they're missing but we've not seen that you know grig can play all day long and make runs in the channels and stuff but if the ball doesn't go to him and the ball isn't played to his feet then he's not going to be able to do anything and i feel like every striker we have we never utilize their strengths and i think that's the frustration for Sunderland fans because while we're winning games, it kind of papers over the cracks. But if we lose two in a row, I think fans will, you know, get frustrated because the football's terrible to watch. You know, I think mm. I don't think that's an understatement. You know, it's not entertaining. I, I found the Charlton game last week. You know, Charlton. Sorry, two weeks ago, Charlton were there for the taking. You know, and I feel like any manager with a set of balls would have really went to try and win that game, and it felt like even though he did make positive changes, the style of play didn't change to it different more positive style like what happened when we played Oxford where we actually did change at half time and I thought when that happened I kind of thought right okay Parkinson knows what he's doing here you know we're set out away from home to 
sort of nullify the opposition. And then the second half, we changed to a pressing attack and style and it really worked. But we've not seen that since. And I would love to see Parkinson. That's why I think he needs to develop as a manager. I would love to see him look at the game like he did the Oxford game and at half time make a few tactical changes and say, right, okay, we're going to press. We're going to force the opposition. We're going to try and create chances. We're going to try and get wide and utilise our creative players. I would like to see him do that more. And I think that's the frustration for me as a Sunderland fan is that I don't feel like there's often a plan B when we're not, you know, ahead in the game. I mean, Bomber, Connor's just kind of summarised it nicely there. Um, another game where we haven't kind of created many chances. Um, two goals at Swindon were, were kind of two defensive lapses, really, that gave us the two goals. Apart from that, didn't create anything at all, really. Do you think we can continue to keep going in this style uh, where we rely on getting a goal out of the, the one or two half chances or defensive mistake? Or does it have the potential to backfire on us at some point? At some point, I'll look, we're on eight. We are, I think it's safe to say, and I think everybody can see we are riding our luck a little bit. You know, we, you know, if if that defensive lapse doesn't happen and all of a sudden Luca Nine's penalty is given against him, we, we find ourselves 1 0 down. And that's a completely different game. And we find ourselves in that position so many times where, you know, we, we've not taken the opportunities, not played particularly well and gone 1 0 down and scraped a 1 or draw. You know, I know it's all kind of revisionist and you look back and go, oh, what if this, what if that? And you could do that until the cows come home. But, we're, the fact is, we're not we're not playing well. We're riding our luck, and I do the way that we're playing at the moment. Yes, we're winning games, but when we come up against an Ipswich, for example, you look at the goals Ipswich have scored compared to the, 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 what they've conceded and how they're playing and how they're they're putting teams away. I would be really fearful about us coming up against Ipswich right now. The way that we're playing. Um, same with uh, with Hull. Um, I know we played them in the um, in the Carabao and. Um, and obviously it was nil nil, and we we looked decent, but they seem to have come on since then even more. So I would be concerned about playing them again. Um, but yeah, our, our luck will run out unless unless something changes in the way that we play. And like Connor said, it's you, you don't want necessarily tick attack a beautiful Manchester City Barcelona style football, but you just want some confidence that actually we're going to be able to create chances. And then it's just down to the whether or not the strikers can put those chances away. Um, that's that, two completely different things, you know. You can you can be, you can create the chances and be satisfied as a fan that okay, yeah, we're creating enough, we're looking good going forward. It's just a case that the strikers aren't putting it away. When we're not even really creating chances, that's a whole different problem, um, and that's something that needs addressing, and it needs addressing soon because, like I said, our, our luck will run out on that eventually. It's interesting you mentioned Ipswich because I think I was looking earlier, and they've conceded one goal as well mm. in what, and they've played a game more, but they seem to have sorted their. Uh, the front line out and scoring a few more goals. So yeah, yeah. It, uh, back at the stadium, I liked against Crew on Tuesday. Connor, uh, they're sitting mid-table. They've won two and lost two in their first five games. Um, obviously we hope Hume and Willis are going to be fit. Um, I'm not sure if there's any latest news on that. But assuming they are fit, do you think they'll come straight back in? Considering that we know kind of Parkinson's loyalty to to players who, who kind of do well for him, and uh, should we be expecting three points? Uh, definitely expecting three points. Every game we play at this level, we should expect three points. Um, and that's not me being... That is me being arrogant, but you know what? We are Sunderland. <laughs> We've probably got the biggest budget in the league, apart from maybe Hull. We should be winning every game. Um, But to the, the first point of the team selection, Denver Hume and Jordan Willis, if they are fit, they will slot back in. I can't see Parkinson not doing that because they're two important players. And if we had Denver Hume playing, we would have created more chances. I felt like there was a lack of crosses. And I, I would probably say Denver creates maybe 80% of our crosses in a game. Mm. Whether or not they're good or not, that's a different argument. But he, he's always 
bombing down that side and he's always oh bomber as well <laughs> bombing um, he's always running down that side though whipping balls in so I think Denver will come in that's a no-brainer Willis I think I read somewhere that it was just an impact injury and he was having a scan but they don't think it's serious so I suspect Willis will be back in on Tuesday it looked like it didn't it it looked like he just got trod on yeah after the ball had gone yeah so I think I think Willis will, will come back in on Tuesday and then that poses the question of what to do in defence I would actually hesitate though in, in dropping McLaughlin just because I feel like he's not been given a chance for Sunderland and he's finally got a game and he did okay and he's probably got a little bit of confidence and he feels good about himself because he played all right as well in national duty and then you're just going to take him out and then limit him to being a time-wasting substitution in the 90th minute. I don't feel like that's productive. So in some ways, I kind of hope he finds a way of getting McLaughlin back in there. But I also know that, you know, it's about winning games and picking up points. So if Willis comes in, it seems natural that McLaughlin would drop out. Yeah, well, going off the the first few games, especially at home, you'd like to think if McLaughlin comes in, he won't actually be doing very much, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, at the back. So just stick him in, throw him in, give him 90 minutes. Uh, if, if Willis is a doubt, there's no point in kind of risking him, really, isn't it, in, in theory. Uh, but Bomber, I mean, going back to the stadium alike, got a mid-table side on the back of a, a good away win. <laughs> I, I mean, we might have already answered this, but do you see at all that maybe gradually we start committing a few more players forward and maybe becoming a bit more positive, especially in some of these home games? Yeah, I think I think we have to. You know, teams come whether there's fans in the in the ground or not. Teams come to the stadium alike not to get beat, um, and we take too long to recognise that as a team. So we we start off almost just as cagey as them, with almost a mentality of let's not let's keep this tight, let's keep you know let's not lose this game. We have seen a, a little bit more attacking prowess, although again, not really necessarily creating anything. But I think we we just need to set out from the off that we're at home. We know that these mid-table teams, well, really anywhere in the table, bar outside of the you know the the, the top three or four positions, anyone will come to the stadium alight with the aspirations of not getting beat. It's it's just it's just fact, regardless of whether there's fans in there or not. But we need to recognise that from minute one. And just pile the pressure on them, you know. Get more players forward, you know. Home games against the likes of of Crew, etc. No disrespect to them, but we, we don't need to be playing two holding midfielders, you know. Get get another forward-minded player on there. Let's get let's attack with like you know four, five, six players rather than with just two or three. Um, and those teams will eventually crumble. Um, that said, there's obviously the caveat that we need to be performing well in those those forward runs, forward passes, and uh, and actually create the chances to. To put teams away, but yeah, we should be we should almost be going out with an all out attack attitude at home. Really, I think you said there don't disrespect. We don't want to disrespect crew, but I feel like that's actually the problem. I feel like we give these teams too much respect. You yeah, know, I think we yeah, should yeah. go in with a disrespectful attitude of yeah. Do you know what? We are actually better than you. We've got better players, so we're just going to attack you from the minute off and sign to see mm. what happens. That would be nice to see them do that. I mean, we did it against Wickham last year, and I think we won that one five nil. Um, and mm. Wickham, of course, got promoted off merit as well so they were a good team <laughs> they were awful that day absolutely <laughs> awful yeah gifted gifted us four goals well, they're, do, they're doing okay in the championship I think we scored one goal this season uh, yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're doing okay for a team that finished what ninth of they, the they weren't bitter about the result either were they yeah no, did you see the social media I did I did not yeah. very professional but what would you yeah. expect from a league one oh, sorry they're a championship club yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you had to get one in there, Connor. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and I like I like your message to to Phil Parkinson and Bomber all out attack. Yeah, that's yes, uh, please. That's our final message. Well, I'm fully expecting the same again. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what we'll see on Tuesday. So that just leaves me to say thank you very much to Connor Bromley. Always a pleasure. 
Thanks. No, it's nice. Nice to be in the guest seat for a change. Yes. Yes. You had a rest this week. Uh, and to you as well, Bomber. And thank you for wearing a T-shirt this time. Thank you very much, Chris. Hang on, uh, what? Thanks for wearing a T-shirt. <laughs> Hang on. Let's... Yeah. Uh, so it's a long story, Connor. Basically, uh, <laughs> last time I was on the Exiles pod, it got uh, it got binned because I was recording without a shirt on and it, my mic was scratching against my my chest hair. Oh. So the whole thing got binned because of it. So yeah, now the world knows about it. So, so thanks very much, Chris. what you could have done was oh, is... Still not wear a top and shave your chest hair. That's what you should have done. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll do that next time for you. <laughs> thanks, Connor. I think I'll drop out of that one. Uh, well, thanks again uh, to everyone listening. And please subscribe and like and give us lots of stars and all that carry on. If you did enjoy it, it is much appreciated. But from us three today, it's bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 